add my welcome. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we've been talking in recent weeks about the Missio Day or the mission of God. And the Missio Day is this red thread that we've been tracing through Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. We've been seeing God's work play out in and through the life of Paul and the life of Barnabas, the Missio Dei. Uh, the Missio Dei sounds like an ancient phrase. Latin will do that for anything, won't it? But in fact, it was coined in 1934 by a German missiologist who wanted to convey the fact that Christian mission is not primarily mission of the church, but that it is rather the mission of God. It is not Missio Ecclesiae, but Missio Dei. And this was intended to move our imagination from a human-centered, anthropocentric understanding of Christian faith and mission to one that is God-centered. It reminds us that our Christian calling is to participate in the cosmic mission of the triune God who, as Father, is sending His Son and Spirit into the world to reconcile it and to redeem it. That we're caught up in this bigger movement that God is doing. It's God's mission before it's ever ours. And in this, this new term, the Missio Dei, it taps into scriptural truth to which we can give a hearty amen. It's the mission of God and not merely the mission of the church. But if that's true, where does this leave the church? Where does this tangible, ordered institution, this church, this body of people with its structure and life, where does it fit within this vision? And this is an important question for us to ask because if medieval Christians were tempted to focus too much on the church, to collapse the work of God into the church, Modern Christians, I would say, have been tempted to see the church as somehow superfluous or optional. And neither of these things are quite right. Where does the church sit vis-a-vis the mission of God? And it's as Paul completes his first missionary journey in our text, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 28, that we get a really great set of answers to this question. Uh, I'd like you to turn there with me now. It's in page seven, on page 790 of the Church Bibles, and we'll look at it together. Uh, first, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it, in, it teaches us, it instructs us, it corrects us. We pray now that you would speak now, for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here's the first thing I want you to see there on page 790, Acts chapter 14. The church is essential to the mission of God. The church provides Christians with resurrection power in the midst of a world of death. The church is essential to carrying out the mission of God. Look with me at this grisly scene in verse 19. Paul has been on the run from persecutors, the last two places he went on his journey, Antioch and Iconium. 
But his persecutors were not content merely to force him to leave those cities, but they follow him all the way to this third place, Lystra. And finding him there, they stir up the crowds, the pagan crowds against him. And then this mob of Jews and Gentiles administers the most brutal form or one of the most brutal forms of capital punishment possible. I hesitate to ask you to picture Paul surrounded on all sides with furious people taking turns finding the largest stones they can and sending them crushing down against his head. It's a hideous sight to see. It's a terrible sound to hear. And finally, when the and when the crowd agrees that this bloody man has been silenced for good, they lead him out of the city and they leave him on the side of the road for the vultures. For Paul, this appears to be anything but mission accomplished. But look at what happens in verse 20. It's nothing short of a resurrection from the dead. And it's mediated by the gathered church. It reads, but when the disciples gathered about him, literally formed a circle around him, the language says, he rose up, the same word the Bible uses for resurrection, and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derba. Do you see this? Paul is as good as dead, but it's when the church gathers around him that he not only revives miraculously, but that he has the courage to go back to the city where he was just beaten into a pole. And then to continue on the next day on his mission trip. It's when the church gathers around that there's life in the midst of death. That's what we're supposed to see here. See, what happens with Paul here is in parallel to what happened to Peter back in chapter 12. Peter was as good as dead. James was already killed, and Peter was in prison awaiting his fate. But it was when the church gathered around him in prayer that he was miraculously released from prison and given the boldness and power he needed to go on. Like Peter, so Paul. In both cases, these apostles are suffering on account of Christ. They are bearing Christ's cross. They're participating in the sufferings and death of Jesus. But it's as they're also able to participate in the resurrection of Jesus, in some sense, as the church gathers around him, around them. And in the same way, just as with Peter and just as with Paul, to follow Jesus today is to participate in the mission of God, and this will involve death, bearing a cross. Martyrdom isn't the exception in the Christian life. It's the call of all of us, some form of it, death to self, death to your status, death to certain ambitions, death to lust, and for all of us, literal physical death at some point in our lives. And in all of this, we are called to bear witness to Christ and his coming kingdom in the midst of this life that is a dying. 
And what's essential to your faithfully completing your version of bearing Christ's cross is to be surrounded by the church mediating to you a foretaste of the resurrection of the kingdom of God. Individual Christian, if you are going to participate in this mission and have life and power, you've got to get encircled by God's people. Church, you have the power to give life to Christians as you form a circle of care and prayer around them. You might say, is that really true? Can the church really do something like that? Some of you nod yes, and you say, I know the power that God's people have. Even someone like Ta-Nehisi Coates, who would say he has no hope beyond the sheer brutality of the world, is forced to wonder at the power that can come to people through the body of Christ, the church. In his book, Between the World and Me, he writes to his son, reflecting on a conversation he had with Dr. Maybell Jones. She's a devout Christian from Louisiana, the child of sharecroppers, who went on to become a successful radiologist. But more importantly, she is the mother of Prince Jones, who was Coates's pers close personal friend, a Howard University student who was unjustly shot and killed by police. And as Coates meets with Dr. Jones, she tells him about what the church as God's people meant to her in the midst of unspeakable grief and injustice. Marveling at this and, and doubting his own doubt, Coates writes to his son, I thought of my own distance from an institution that has so often been the only support of our people. I often wonder if in that distance I've missed something, some notions of cosmic hope, some wisdom beyond my mean physical perception of the world, something beyond the body that I might have transmitted to you. I wondered that because something beyond anything I have ever understood drove Maybell Jones to an exceptional life. If we are going to live exceptional lives of hope and power and forgiveness and perseverance, missional lives in a world that has fallen into death and injustice, we're only going to find that power through Christ and it's mediated to us by his people, the church. Without the community of faith, we will simply be overwhelmed by the brutality of the world of death. So the church is essential to the living out of the Missio Dei. Here's the second thing. The church is a goal, a central goal of the Missio Dei. God's mission involves creating a tangible, structured, public entity, a body of witness in the midst of the world. The church is a goal of the Missio Dei. Look at verses 21 to 23. Paul has journeyed from Antioch to Iconium to Lystra before being stoned. And now being raised from death, it seems he's completed the course of his journey. He's proclaimed the gospel in each of these places. He's been faithful. It's time to head back. And you might think that he would go back a different way. 
I know I certainly would. But he doesn't. He goes in reverse through the same places he has just come from being persecuted. Why? Because proclaiming the gospel has only been the first stage in his participation in the mission of God. He's not done yet. The second stage is to go back and establish these structured, ordered communities. So verse 23 talks about him appointing elders for them in every place with prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord. He institutionalizes, he creates this leadership structure through which the mission of God will be able to continue to work itself out in those cities and surrounding regions for years to come. Some form of order and institutionalization even is inherent to the mission of God. It's easy to read the book of Acts and if you're not careful, see merely some charismatic, freewheeling, apocalyptic house church movement. And you might think, let's get back to that. It was purer in those days. Even some Bible scholars seem to read Acts this way. And then when they get to the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Paul there is talking about leadership structures and requirements for leadership and how things should be run, they say there's no way Paul wrote this, this stuff. This is not the same guy. He wasn't an institutionalist. Well, in this passage and in others, you can see that Paul conceived as part of his mission, creating communities with leadership structure, institutions. Paul seems to hold together these two things that so many Christians today think can't go together. He's both a pioneering, spirit-filled, gospel-preaching missionary and an organization builder. The two things exist in this sort of creative tension of stability and dynamism. That's what we should be about. And sure, in theory, you might say, uh, but we've all seen institutions and organizations become dead, insular things that no longer serve the gospel. Is there any way to keep that from happening? Well, yes and no. Look at verse 22. When Paul goes back to build up these new churches, He tells them some things. First, he tells them that they must continue in the faith. They must maintain the apostolic deposit of teaching that he has delivered to them. Second, he says it's through many tribulations that they must enter the kingdom of God. What he's getting at here is the church must be like Paul, who was like Peter, who was like Jesus, who took up his cross and found resurrection life. Not by getting around it, but by bearing it. And what these two things mean is that the institutional church, our organization, can maintain its vibrancy only so long as it is devoted to passing on the faith of the gospel as it was received and to orienting itself not to mere self-preservation, but toward a type of risky self-sacrificial witness. Look what Paul does. Once he's said this, he appoints the elders, and then he prays. And he leaves them to God. He trusts them to God. It's God's church. It's God's organization. You know, Church of the Resurrection is pretty young by historical standards. The Diocese of Christ, our hope, is pretty new. 
the ACNA is a pretty new denomination or church. And we're in this phase of institution building on the micro and macro levels. We're trying to get a church building. We've got a new prayer book of our own. And we need to give ourselves to this excitedly. But we must never lose sight of the primary mission of carrying on the faith and bearing witness and being outward focused. And then we hand it on to the next generation of resers, the next generation of our children, and we don't know what they'll do with it, do we? But we trust it to God because it's his mission. It's his church that he's building. And he'll preserve it. He'll move it. He'll renew it as he sees fit. But as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's church will continue. So the church is the goal of the Missio Dei. It's a goal of the Missio Dei. Here's the final thing. The church is celebration of the mission of God. Church is the place we gather to rest and to tell how much God has done. Church is celebration of the mission of God. We're looking at verses 24 to 28 now. In verses 24 to 26, Luke the author kind of speeds us through Paul and Barnabas's journey back to Antioch, not the Antioch that's been mentioned previously. That's in Asia Minor. This is the Antioch that's in Syria from where the journey started. Paul and Barnabas are going back to that Antioch, to their home church, the place where, as it says in verse 26, they were handed over to God. They've made it back safely. Their work is fulfilled. Their work is fulfilled, and they have a sense of fulfillment. Look what happens in verse 27. The church gathers around them, and it says, They declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In the original language, you, you get more of the celebratory kind of tone of this. They declare how much that God has done with them, as if it's so much. They're bragging, not on themselves, but what God has done in, with, and through them in their work. They're telling the stories and, and impressing the church with all that God has accomplished through them. Verse 28 says, they remained no little time with the disciples. They stayed a while and they rested in the satisfaction and fulfillment of what God had done through their work. This is a, a Sabbath, a time to stop and rest and celebrate. What does this mean for us? I think it should help us remember another aspect of what it means for us to be the church. Yes, we are called to come around people in their darkest moments and support them in their mission. Yes, we're called to join God in the work of building up the church as an organization, an institution even. But in all this, we can't lose sight of, of this most eschatological feature of the church. That it is a place to rejoice and rest and revel in what the Lord has done through us. So let me ask you a series of questions. When is the last time you just stopped 
and let yourself be in awe of what the Lord has brought you through and how much he has done in your life up to this point. I mean, I know you're not the Apostle Paul and you haven't taken the gospel to the Gentiles, but, and I know there's so much work you feel like you still need to do and, and have left undone and so many regrets. I know, I know, I know, but still, when's the last time you stopped and you counted up the things that God has brought you through? When is the last time you stepped back and you marveled at the work he has given you to do that you have accomplished, that he has accomplished through you, whether it's through the work you do in your job, through the raising of your family or ministering to your family, through work in the church with your neighbors? When's the last time you thought back over all the things he's provided for you and the ways that you have used those generously to help others? When's the last time you've been able to celebrate these things with your brothers and sisters? I know for me, I thought about this and I like, I never stop. I'm always like, I, the things I didn't do, the things I need to do, but when do we stop and celebrate? When do we tell people? When do we brag on what God has done in and through us? Are we too humble to do that? See, and as a church, think about it. We're focused right now on getting a building. This is a big part of our life. We're focused on, on doing new things, and that's really important. But let's also stop for a minute and think about all the lives that have already been changed by Church of the Resurrection being here. Let's think about the new churches that have been started, the missionaries that have been supported. Let's think about the ways that we have impacted our city and our neighborhood. Some of those we can see, some we probably can't. This is, supposed, this is what we're supposed to do when we gather in worship together and in res groups, which will start back in September, by the way, um, and in more informal ways. We're supposed to echo the psalm that we read today. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And what? Recount the deeds of the Lord. The church is celebration of the mission of God. So there you have it. The church is the source of resurrection life that sends us out to participate in God's mission. The church itself is a goal of God's mission. And the church is a place to gather and to celebrate how much the Lord has done, to give thanks. So let's turn now and pray that God would bring us into the fullness of this reality for the sake of his glory and his kingdom and the accomplishment of his mission. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.